Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, welcome back to Destiny Lore Audiophile. You join us for the second of three episodes dedicated to the little lights that carry us through being guardians, both in good times and in bad. This is Ghost Stories. As with the first episode in the series, the lovely Starcotic will be introducing our voice talents for each scene, and links to the voice artist's social media will be available in the episode's description. As ever, I cannot thank them enough for all of their hard work on this project. We quite literally couldn't do this without them. And now, without further ado... Chapter 9 The Watchful Eye Featuring the voice talents of Taylor Carlyle I have made my peace. If my other is not out here somewhere, if my guardian can't be found, then I will find ways to be of value to the greater good. It's been cycles since I told myself to be useful in any way possible, but it's a mantra I repeat, a constant reminder. If I have no other, my actions must be enough. If I have no other, I will become the hero I cannot find. It sounded noble at the time. Turns out nobility is the kind of thing that places the well-intended in harm's way, and apparently I'm fine with that. Maybe we all are. Maybe that's what makes us heroic. Accepting risk is a consequence of doing what's right. I've been tracking fallen crew movements along the edge of the EDZ for some time. Careful not to venture too deep into their territory. After all, I'm only one ghost. Without a guardian, I'm no use in a fight. But I can watch and learn and report. I can find my own ways to combat the enemies of the light. All ghosts keep an eye out. We chronicle and share the highlights of our travels. It helps us in our charges navigate the frontier, though the vast majority of these wildlands remain unexplored. The only difference between the ghost I am today and the ghost I used to be is my focus. Whereas I used to be driven solely by the need to find and sent with a guardian, I am now fully dedicated to spycraft the art and execution of information gathering. I am not alone. There's an entire network of ghosts like me. Should we find our others, we shall rejoice and shift our mission to serve as the right hands of the true warriors of the light. Until then, we move swift and quiet through the vast wilds of the frontier. Scouting our enemies' movements and cataloging their every action so that the Vanguard and others may better assess and confront the dangers beyond the last safe city. We are small. We are few. We are brave. And we are heroes.
Chapter 10, Into the Fray, featuring the voice talents of Robert Herrera. She wasn't ready, but I had no choice. The Cabal mining rig was set to scorch the earth and then churn the soil to get at whatever they were after underneath. Problem was, my guardian, the one I'd spent a very long time looking for, was lying dormant in their path. A lifeless husk in need of a wake-up call before her remains were atomized, and I was left for eternity without my chosen. That I'd found her seconds before the Red Legion survey team arrived was unfortunate, but I had to do what I had to do. Some risks, after all, are worth taking. It was now or never, and besides, there's no timing like bad timing. I opened myself up to the Traveler's gift and enveloped her in light, just as the mining rig settled. My new guardian gasped and sat up, crying out as if waking from a nightmare. Not good. The Cabal security team was on us quick. Their slug shots rang out. Before she could take a second breath, my guardian was dead. Again, I spun and hit her with another scan as the rig warmed its burners. The Cabal released their war beasts on us. My guardian was up as the ground heated and the war beasts charged. She was confused, as was to be expected. Run! Now! I tried to warn her, incite her to move, but she just looked around, dazed, confused. Then she saw the beasts. Instinct, as it turns out, is a compelling motivator. She was up in a flash, sprinting away from the rig's burners and away from the gnashing teeth that were quick on her heels. As soon as she cleared the rig, the cabal opened fire, and here's where risk became reward. My guardian didn't flinch, didn't cower. Instead, she got angry and aggressive. This long-dead woman was back among the living for only a moment, and already she was at one with war. I wonder, perhaps, if that's what makes humanity the perfect weapon, if that's what makes it a force worthy of concern. That's not my place to say. Though what came next gave me pause and more than a hint of pride. My guardian charged the nearest cabal, a creature of war she had never seen, a hulking brute in thick-plated armor. She ducked and dodged, left to right and back again to avoid slugfire. A war beast lunged, clamping its jaw on my guardian's forearm. She yelled. The cabal laughed. The other war beasts closed in. Then, my guardian, this woman only just reborn in the light, grabbed the beast, clamping down on her arm by the hind legs, lifted and brought her entire weight down on the creature's spine, knee first. The sound, cracked bone and a sudden, sharp yelp, caused the other beasts to halt and the cabal to quell their laughter. She resumed her charge. No hesitation. The beast's limp body was still locked on her arm. She pulled it free. I I could hear the flesh tear, but she did not flinch. 
Instead, she closed the distance, rushing the cabal, the beast held tight in her good arm's grip. The cabal raised his weapon, but too late. The other beasts charged as my guardian pummeled the legionary with the corpse of his pet. It was brutal, swift. I issued a warning as the war beasts lunged, but it didn't matter. (laughs) She already had the cabal's slug thrower in hand. What followed? Oof. I am reluctant to recount in full. She was new then, awakened into a world of sudden fierce violence. All I will say is that I am here, and my guardian is near, and somewhere deep within the EDZ, there is ground still darkened with the stain of Cabal blood. Chapter 11. Struck by Wonder. Featuring the voice talents of Tom Hayes. I look upon them, and I am struck by wonder. All they do. All they endure. Not a single one asked for this life, this second chance. And when they woke... When the light hit their eyes in that first instance upon their return, they were welcomed into a broken world. Yet, they stand, time and again, against odds insurmountable, in defiance of all who would see their end. Such determination, such pride, such fire love, joy, hope, fear, lust, such powerful will, strong enough to carve the promise of new tomorrows across the barren landscapes of yesterday. It inspires, from the smallest victory to the grandest of conquests. I've seen it all, the raising of the first walls, the bravery of six fronts, the desperation at Twilight Gap, the war with the devils, the taming of the wolves. I've seen Iron Lords rise and fall, witness to the last cycles of Dark Ages, and cheered as new triumphs gifted all with the promise of renewed hope. Our return to the moon and Mars the pruning of the garden, and the defeat of hive royalty. Even Gaul and his armies, so many threats, so many challenges. Yet our guardians stand. Humankind persists. They are touched by the light, but no longer do I see it as a gift. Instead, It is their courage, their strength, their humanity that has been, in truth, the greatest gift, their greatest weapon. This thought brings me joy and a bit of peace amid so much chaos. 
and I find myself asking, often and with great anticipation, where to next? Observations of a ghost named Kaiser on Guardian Inspiration. Chapter 12 Confession of Hope Part 2 Featuring the voice talents of Sam the Okami Johnson Out here in the wilds, survival depends heavily on your ability to elude fallen patrols. Everything else, every other danger, is secondary. Exposure, starvation, hungry beasts, crazed bandits, all can be assessed and managed. But fallen, these vicious pirates, they hunt and kill not only for their own survival, but for sport. They relish the slaughter. I was guiding our ragtag group through dense woods, but with a child to carry and many survivors wounded, we didn't move quickly enough. We'd been spotted a few miles back. The attack was swift, violent. The child's mother fell almost immediately. His father foolishly, though maybe it's best to imagine he was brave, let his grief and fear get the better of him. He ran to her aid, but there was none to give. Now he is gone as well. Two parents dead, one orphaned child gifted in ways he can't yet understand. Others grabbed the infant and fled. He cried, confused, frightened. They muzzled his fear and made for the thick of the forest. I followed. The child was mine to protect. If I could, I had no choice but to stay with him. And yet, here I am. This hasty dictation is meant to give some insight, if needed, into my choice into my moment of weakness that led to a child reborn. I'm recounting as I flee, so mind the clip's nature, this truncated plea for understanding and a brief history of what happened here. I will send this message on signal to any ghost who may hear. The fallen are on me. I have run from the pack to lead them away. Should I survive, I will return to the child. Should I fall, he will be left to others to raise and will ever have only the one second life to give. I left him in the care of a terrified man and woman. But they are smart and caring. They have courage, but know when to run, when to survive. They will stay hidden until the fallen are away, my light serving as a distraction to lure them as far from these humans as I can. I made my presence known to the pirates and darted from the last of the survivors, made myself a target to buy them time. But that time is short. The fallen are close now, and closing. I can hear the bark of their war cries. I can feel the spark of their blades. They've long since learned that to kill one like me is a future problem solved. I am not sorry for the choice I made. The child gave hope, though fleeting. What comes next for him is unknown. But there is promise in him, should he find sanctuary. Should he find guidance. This is not a confession. This is my hope. This is my-
Chapter 13, A Hero's Requiem, featuring the voice talents of Doom for Zombies, Rindle Zevis, Lee Roberts, and Maya Shepard. We're all special. He was no different at first. Just as special, same as the rest. That's all changed, obviously. Over time, he distanced himself stood out. It took some time for her to adjust to his personality. From what she shared, it took him some time as well. The Cade Six, known to all, is not the man he was in total. His wit, his playfulness, were a shield, a weapon, as trained as his blade or hand can. He called her Sundance. I was never really sure why. I always thought it was because of her spark. The grace which she moved, so effortless, so sly. They were a perfect match. He recounted his return to those closest to him more than once, and there's no doubt the events shifted a bit with each retelling. Like his wit, the building of his legend was a weapon. For those who don't know, for those who were not lucky enough to hear the tale of Cade Six first from his own mouth, with that charm, the way he'd act out his favorite parts, complete with sound effects. There's one retelling. It's a recording from old cycles past. It's not the whole story, but where Cade Six was involved, nothing ever was. We head to the tower, and well, the rest is history. <laughs> I mean, that's more or less what happened. But you're leaving out the part where I stopped that captain from ripping your head off. Oh, shut up. At least it beats freezing your ass off in Hellas Basin and waiting until a Guardian Patrol happened upon a hapless blueberry. Hold on, now, now, now wait just a damn second. Oh, you guys are killing me with boredom. You two have no sense of timing. No style. Now, listen, Brindle. You might have tested in to be a hunter, but if you want to be a hunter... You're going to need to learn how to tell a good story. To tell a tale with panache. With drama. Okay, I'm listening. How about a demonstration from the master? Oh, now this is going to be good. Okay. Time to set a scene. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between. This is your feature presentation starring Cade Six. Can I get a whoop whoop? Uh, whoop whoop? I said, can I get a whoop whoop? Whoop whoop? That's more like it, Rindall. Now, strap in your seatbelts, pull your socks up, and for the love of the traveler, stop eating all of the popcorn during the pre roll ads. I see you, Cyclone. I see you. Oh. <laughs> Fading, darkness coats a desert landscape. The only light being a lone ghost, the most beautiful ghost you've ever seen, drifting through like a tumbleweed. She stops and looks up and down at a pile of rusted out bones. Still clutching its heart, a bullet run right through it. Boom. I wake up. 
groggy, confused, hungover. It's the same for us all, so that initial shock's nothing new. Sundance is in my face and I'm freaking out. My brain works, but I don't remember a thing except that I seem to be a functioning life form. I'm human. I'm a man. And then my mind starts reeling a thousand miles a minute. Boom, boom, boom. Like I'm downloading the idiot's guide to basic human existence. Cool. Great. Still can't remember anything. And I sure can't wrap my head around the talking, floating magic robot orb thing jabbering in my face. I'm freaked. So, I freaked. Smacked her to the ground. Hard. And I ran. I'm running. She's running. Or, you know, whatever she's doing since she doesn't have any legs. She's right behind me going, wrong way, wrong way. She's screaming, ah! I'm screaming, ah! Whatever she's yelling, I just keep running. It's night. Did I mention that? I mean, yeah. It's nighttime and my eyes are still adjusting. So, I'm running, I'm running. Can't see, can't remember. Scared to death. Confused as all get out. And then... I fall. I'm straight up falling. Just like that. I ran right off a cliff. Oh, no. It wasn't a short drop. I bounced so many times. Felt each and every one. Till I didn't. Till it all went black again. And then. Boom! I'm back. She got me right up on my feet, just like she always does. And that, my dudes, was the start of a beautiful friendship. I wish I haven't heard that story. And listening, you hopefully weren't looking for any definitive truth of who he really was, as a man or a guardian. That's not what the story's for. Its purpose, now more than ever, it's nicely into the armor cage more best. I thought it was funny. And now, more than ever, Cade would want us to laugh. Chapter 14 From Fallen Ground Featuring the voice talents of Moonbald I am quiet. I am not here. The fallen cannot see me. They cannot know me. I am not a shadow, but I move among them, silent, deliberate of motion and intent as when I entered their hollow one month prior. I use the light of day to mask my own, because the forest here is barren. It's, it's, it's a dead place, to and fro, a constant buzz as the scavengers go about their business of stripping this world of its old glories. I watch. I learn. I record and preserve. Their every movement is my obsession. I hang on their every word, even though I am not versed in their nightmare tongue. But others are, and they will decipher it. They will find the secrets hidden within. Secrets are like weapons, and I am an instrument of their unmaking. They are enemy. They are cruel, and I will learn and share, and they will be undone. What is that shouting? I am deep now, 
No telling how far in. I have tracked each meter, mapped every path, but this maze is ever-winding, and their chairs now echo, violent, with joy. And I hesitate to investigate as I am entering unknown corridors thick with security. Yes. Yes, this is a special place. A holy place. A mechanized place. And the shouts merge with screams, and the grinding of gears, and the joy joins with pain. There is suffering here, punishment, a, a ritual. I must know, so we may know. I move slow, careful, must not be seen, cannot be detected, meter by meter, anywhere where cover is provided. Quick and with purpose, whenever exposed, I make my way, leaving other avenues unexplored. The chairs must be understood. But eventually they die, replaced by the harmony of the pirates' busy days and nights. Oh my, how they never rest, or rather when they rest, others continue the work, preparing scavenger sorties, sifting through spoils, readying their fleet, their weapons, their warship. The manner in which they revere machines, I should feel safe here. I should be among their gods. Am I a machine? I don't know. I don't know anything. Their worship is not so simple. With the cacophony of excitement no longer echoing, I slow my pace, but remain vigilant in my efforts to locate its origin. It is weeks before I do. Weeks before now. A ceremony has just ended, and I am sending out a recollection of what I have seen, because I am seen. These are my final moments. Of this I am sure. The ceremony is combat, ritual, and fury. It is a pit, an arena where the lesser and unworthy must prove their value or suffer and die. Oh, how they fight dirty. Oh, how they fight to survive or to thrive. In this pit, before the eyes of an archon, shamed elixir may redeem themselves. Lesser pirates may improve their station. A drag to a vandal. A vandal to a captain. A captain to... This is their forge. Their place of judgment. Their trial before their betters. This is what we are up against. Kill or die. Thrive or perish. They have no use for the weak. And they watch and cheer and scream as their archon looks on. But I have become careless. The fervor became... A distraction, and now the Archon's eyes have found me, and I am too deep to run. And I think he is smiling. Chapter 15 Ghost Community Theater Presents Featuring the voice talents of Kitty of Nine, Rindal Zevis, Maya Shepard, and Sammy Auburn. The Ghost Community Theater presents Oryx, the Nightmare Daddy. One brave ghost versus the death from outer space. A four and a half act play written and directed by Didi, ghost of Marcus Wren. Starring Marcus Wren as... Hero's Ghost, Dee Dee the Ghost as 
guardian hero y no best as Oryx. Pixie, ghost of Ariane Gris as Air Halak. Sweeperbot as Air Hanuk. Ghost, ghost of Enoch Best as ghostly shade of Crota. See the play that Commander Zabala calls... An insensitive and disrespectful travesty of a production. With abominable prop design. Truly an insult to the art of paper mache. The eponymous ghost himself calls it. Is this supposed to be me? Oh, oh no. Ghost, the ghost of Tyra Khan calls it. A four and a half act structure. But that makes no... Stories do have rules, you know. You can't... What constitutes half an... You know what? I don't need to entertain this nonsense. Ophiuchus, the ghost of Icare, calls that Lord Shucks calls it. Undeniably enthusiastic. I'll grant you that. But is the dialogue meant to come across as so sexually charged? Ghost, the ghost of Tyrakon, calls it. I've been thinking about it, and I really do think it would be worthwhile for you to learn the basics of narrative composition. Sit down, we're doing this now. 